You know, I was thinking of the cross over here to my right. All those red cards on it. You know, that's people that we love. People that we're praying for. People that need to be saved. People that need to be restored to God. People that need to be delivered or set free. People that need to be healed. So many needs there. Why why do we nail them on the cross? Because I'm going to tell you something. Every blessing that we have comes through the death of Jesus. The forgiveness of our sin. Eternal life. Oneness with God. Without the cross, we would be without God and without hope. And so we're praying. And I want to pray for them right now. You join with me. Lord, every one of those people on those little red cards. Lord, we put them there because we know that their only hope is to understand that Jesus Christ died for them. And that in him there is forgiveness of sin and eternal life. Their hope of salvation, their hope of deliverance, their hope of healing, their hope of being restored. So, Lord, we remind us to pray for them every day. We thank you, Lord God, that you not only, we not only pray, but you hear and you answer. And we expect you to do so. In the name of Jesus, amen. You know, um, I love that verse over in Proverbs about a woman of valor, a wife of valor is far above uh, her price is far above rubies and a treasure and so it's wonderful today that we do honor our mothers and we thank God for them but you know I want to speak to you today about you know there are two things or two organisms that a, a nation rests on and one of them is the home I mean as the homes go so go the nation and, and to be honest, we all are, are despair and uh, alarmed at what seems to be the deterioration so oftentimes of the family and of the home. But today, I just want to talk to you about marriage. You know, God, marriage began with God. He instituted it. I mean, it was in the heart of God. And of course, the other organism that God instituted was not only marriage and the home, but the church which is the family of God. Marriage in the home, that's a personal family. Then the church is the family of God. You know, we, we are somewhat an older church in the sense that many of you have been married quite a while. I wonder, how many of you have been married uh, 15, uh, 15 years? Raise your hand. Well, most of you. Okay. How many of you have been married 25 years? Keep them up. Lord have mercy. How many, how many of you have been married over 40 years? Well, shall I ask you, anybody been married over 50 years beside me and Ann? Well, all right, so you're not novices as far as marriage goes. But I want to talk to you about the super glue that holds marriage together. The super glue. Somebody said you ought to call it gorilla glue, but I think it's super glue to me. (laughs) Super glue. My only experience with super glue has been this. It comes in those little tubes. You can't get it open and you can't get it to come out. And the only place I've ever succeeded in getting it is on my fingers. And I, am, I promise you, I cannot get it off and I can't get it off that little tube. I've quit using it. I, I mean, I, some of you know how to do it. I've tried to put dishes together, you know, and all. Forget it. Just let them be broken by another one. It's not worth the price. But now in Genesis chapter 2, I want you to open your Bible. You're going to find... 
the super glue that holds the marriage together. And it works. There's no question about it. When you really want to know the heart and plan of God, you go back to the original. You go back to the first time it's ever mentioned in the Bible. The first time worship was ever mentioned in the Bible was when Abraham said to the servant, this, Isaac and I are going to go up on the mountain and worship God. He thought he was going, believed he was going to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. So worship is when you offer to God the most important and precious thing in your life. Now, the first mention of marriage is found in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. God had already created the earth. You know, he was pleased with it. And he had uh, uh, created Adam. And, and so it says in verse 18, now don't miss this. And the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. So it was God's idea to make a helper for, for Adam. Well, so he started making all the animals. And look in verse 19. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each, of, called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. He said, well, it's not good for a man to be alone. So created all the animals and had Adam to name them. Well, but it just, that wasn't God's plan. It wasn't sufficient for Adam. So read on. Verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. So, you know, God, God just does it, does it his way. He took one Adam, put Adam to sleep and took one of his ribs out and closed it up, and, and look what he did. Then the rib which the Lord had taken from the man he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. First principle, God created Eve and brought her to Adam. And brought her to the man. And th listen to what uh, Adam said. This is bone of my bones. And flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Because she was taken out of man. Then uh, Moses gives a little commentary here. He says, therefore, since God created woman. Brought him to, to man. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother shall be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. All right, that's the first picture of the first wedding, first wedding ceremony. Sounds like it was a whole lot more simple than most weddings I know today, right? I mean, that was pretty simple, you know. Well, now, I want to tell you what you see here. There are four powerful truths, absolutely powerful truths, that will absolutely be the super glue that will hold your marriage together. Where you've been married for two years, ten years, twenty years, thirty years. I'm telling you, these truths, these principles, if they operate in your life, I promise you, God will use them to keep your marriage, not only a marriage that you endure, but a marriage that you can enjoy. One of the tragedies of many years of ministry that I've experienced, as I've talked with people who were staying together under the same roof, but they were enduring that relationship instead of enjoying that relationship. That is not the will of God. It is the will of God that it be pleasure and enjoyment in that relationship. Now, I'm going to share these four truths with you. They're right here in the Word of God. But I, I have to lay this foundation 
Because if you don't get this, then everything else is not going to make any difference. It is not possible to live these truths out unless you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Everybody was born with a sinful nature except Jesus. Are you saying to me, Brother Fred, I was born into this world with a sinful nature? You sure were. Are you going to try to debate that with me? Just look at your life. Why have you had such a problem with sin all your life? Because you were born, just like I was, with a sinful nature. So you take two people who've never been saved, two people in whom Jesus Christ does not live, two people who've never been born of the Spirit of God, two people who are not a new creation in Christ would have the capacity of God's love. You take two people that aren't saved, and they get married, and I'm going to tell you something. They're in trouble. They're in trouble. Because with our sinful nature, we're basically selfish and self-centered and self-willed and want our own way. We want someone else to make us happy or, or to fulfill the needs of our life. You've got to understand, I've known lost people that somehow have worked it through marriage and they've worked and lived together, and I'm thankful for that. But I promise you, I don't have to tell you that without Jesus, it, even in Jesus Christ, marriage is a challenge. But without Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, to me, it would be impossible because it is Christ that gives us the power to love and Christ that gives us the power to forgive and Christ who gives us the power not to be selfish or self-centered. You've got to know Jesus and have an encounter with him. This statistic that they put out that divorce is just as great in Christian, uh, in Christian marriages as in secular marriage is not true. It's skewed. It is absolutely skewed. They're just taking religion, all the religious people, regardless of what kind of religion they have. And then they're saying, well, you know, among religious people, divorce is just as great as it is among unsaved people. Well, I'm not talking about religious people. Praise God, I'm talking about saved people. And saved people in whom Jesus Christ lives, their marriage has got a 10,000 time better chance of being successful than somebody who does not know the Lord. Now, here are the principles. Here's the super glue that will hold your marriage together. The first one is this. It's called mutual reception. Look in verse 22. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made a woman and brought her to the man. So he brought Eve to Adam. And what did Adam do? He received her. It's called mutual reception. He received her. He said, now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. It's mutual acceptance. It's mutual acceptance. Adam received Eve just like she was. You say, well, he didn't have much choice. There wasn't others around. But he still received her just like he was. Now let me tell you about marriage. There's got to be mutual acceptance. We've got to be willing to accept each other as God created us and as we've come together. I I promise you, Adam didn't say, Lord, I don't, I want you to take her back and I want you to remodel her. He did not say that. He said, I don't like the color of her hair. Well, of course, today she could change it. I don't like the color of her hair. No, he accepted her just as God brought her to him. That's what I call mutual acceptance. Let me tell you something. Boy, I'll tell you, if you want your marriage to work by the grace of God and the power of Jesus, you've got to accept your husband just like he is. You say, Brother Fred, I don't want to hear that. I'm telling you anyway. And you're going to have to accept your wife just like she is. You say, no, no, she needs to change. He needs to change. Listen to me. All of us need to change. There are no perfect husbands. There are no perfect wives. There just aren't. I remember the pastor that says, let me ask you all, how many of y'all have ever known a perfect husband? 
Well, one guy in the back said, raised his hand and said, I have. Who was? He said, my wife's first husband that died. But anyway, <laughs> I, I don't know any living husband that's perfect. Do you understand? I don't know any. So let me tell you what it's got to be. There has got to be what I call, Adam said, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. He accepted her just as she was. And that's, gotta, that's the way it's got to be with us. Now, don't misunderstand me. If your husband or your wife has behavior that is unacceptable, if they have behavior that is destructive, they have behavior that is, that is tearing down your marriage instead of building it up, then that is not good. And I'm not saying that that does not need to be changed and does not need to be accepted. But this has got to be your attitude. Even though your behavior is wrong, even though the things you're doing is wrong, I still accept you as you are as a human being. I accept you as my husband. And while I do not accept the behavior patterns, it has nothing to do with me accepting you as a person. Listen, you know, a lot of us are in a marriage that's based on performance-based acceptance. Well, if you perform right, I'll accept you. Well, if you don't perform right, I'm not going to accept you. And, and so everybody's on a performance basis. Listen, when you said I do, of course, you didn't know what you did. But when you said, I do, you know what you did? You were saying, I accept you just like you are. I accept you just like you are. There was a mutual acceptance there. I, I did say now, if there's behavior and contact contrary to the word of God, that is not good. You pray for them to be changed. You encourage them to be changed. You do everything you can to change them. But your love for them and your acceptance of them is not based on their performance. You accept them unconditionally you say well now there are things that can be changed in people's lives and they need to be we don't need to be enablers to enable people to continue in a wrong lifestyle but there's a way to do it if you reject them ignore them isolate them they're not going to change they're just going to get angry so what you have to do is say that's not acceptable but i love you and accept you so there has to be a mutual acceptance well now you you say well i, I just don't just don't like his personality. Well, did it change when he said, I do? I mean, was it the same guy you were dating? How was his personality then? You know, well, I don't like uh, the, the way he messes up the house. Well, come on. It's called mutual acceptance. Now, you know, sometimes you can communicate rejection to your wife or husband. By the way, the tone of your voice, you can communicate rejection. By your attitude, you can communicate rejection. By your uh, uh, isolating yourself from them and separating yourself from them, you can communicate rejection. God brought Eve to Adam. Adam accepted her just as she was. This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. One way to get started in building a strong foundation in your marriage is say, I love you and I accept you as you are. And God's going to change you and God's going to change me in this process together that we will become the people that God wants us to be, and that's through the power of Jesus. Here's the second principle. Not only the principle of mutual acceptance, it's called mutual completeness. Now listen to what he said. This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. What Adam was saying here is, you know, this woman is part of me. We've become one flesh. There is a mutual completeness that God wants to be found in marriage. Listen, did you know that as an individual, you are complete? 
There's nothing that needs to be added unto you or taken away. I'm talking about as an individual. You, you, you have worth and you have value as an individual to God. But when it says the two become one flesh, and this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, it is simply saying this, that when a man and a woman get married, they, two, they become one and they complete each other. Not that they're not complete as individuals, but there's a strength in this union of these two people who become one where they complete each other. Now, have you ever noticed that opposites attract? Have you ever noticed that? Oh, yeah. Here's somebody that just talks all the time, and she marries somebody that never talks. Have you ever noticed that? And then she said, well, won't you ever say anything? Well, you know, maybe he doesn't have time. But anyway, I'm just simply saying, uh, you know, th- th- there's got to be... You see, we complete each other. Here's a person who is strong in one area, and their mate is weak in the area, and together they balance each other out. There is a mutual completeness. Her strength may become your strength, and your strength may become hers. What I'm saying is this. There is a mutual completeness. Well, I don't need anybody. Well, that's not true. That's not true. Well, you don't need me. You'd be better off with me if you're married. That's not true. That's not true. We do need each other. And, and two are stronger than one as far as a marriage goes. And there is a mutual completeness where we together become what we could never be separately. See, that's what it's all about. We accept each other in Christ and God changes us. But at the same time, we become one uh, joined together by God and God strengthens us and we strengthen each other. And together we become much stronger and better than we'd ever be as separate individuals. Adam said to Eve, man, I need you. This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And there was a completeness. Have you ever thought about, you've been married for a while and you thought about that your wife wouldn't be there or your husband wouldn't be there? Have it gone through your mind? Well, what would I do without her? You know why you think that? Because life wouldn't be the same without her. It wouldn't be complete. Well, what would I do without him? Well, I'll tell you what, you know what you're saying is Man, I I can't think of life where I'm not with this person because life would not seem to be complete. So right in the beginning, there was mutual acceptance. Adam received Eve. Eve received Adam. and, and, And that was the beginning. It wasn't conditional acceptance. It was acceptance knowing that God was going to change them both. But then there was mutual completeness. They realized that two people become one. And in their completeness individually, they become one together. And they become stronger than they would ever be as an individual. But then there's a third principle here. There was mutual acceptance and mutual completeness and mutual sharing. It says, and the two became one flesh. And notice what he said. Listen to the commentary of Moses here. He said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Somebody said this like this. There's a leaving. There has to be a leaving. And then there is a cleaving, and they have to become one. You know, this is, this is one of the areas. Well, One of the major areas is where people don't accept each other and are committed to change them and and without ever accepting them. And that always creates all kinds of problems. And they're not willing to allow God to work. But but also this this deal of um, the mutual sharing. Well, I've got to leave my father or mother or I've got to leave single life and I'm going to be joined to my wife and I've got to cleave unto her. You know, 
You know one of the big problems? This is more true of men than others. They get married and want to live like they're single. Have you ever noticed that? Now, I'm not talking about that they're going out with another woman or dating or anything. But you know where it is? Well, you know, this is just the way I was when you married me. And now that, that's just the way I am. And so you've you got to understand that I still got my life. Let me tell you one thing. When you get married, you don't have your life. Do you understand that? If you don't, what planet are you living on? No, I'm telling you, the two become one. And it is a shared life. A shared life. I, I mean, I never will forget there was this particular couple that I was ministering to. And he, they got married and they really loved each other. But he, had, he, he, he was a big hunter and he wanted to go to the hunting camp all the time. And he did this and did that. And he just kept on living like he wasn't married. And I never forget they came to see me. And, and I said, do you not understand that you have a wife and that she wants to share your life with you? And that on the weekends, you don't go to the hunting camp or you don't get on the boat and go out all the time. I said, you're supposed to spend time with her, quality time with her. And, but he, he couldn't get it through his head. Well, she can go with me, but she didn't want to go. You know, listen, when you, you got to leave, you got to leave that single lifestyle and you got to understand that we are one and we're going to share our lives together. It's called mutual sharing of your life. It's mutual sharing. And, 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 and I'm telling you, the two become one flesh. You know, what you have to do is this. You have to find quali- ways to spend quality time together. Uh, I'm not doing many weddings. I've got one I'm going to do end of the month and then another one in June. I maybe do two or three a year. But uh, I, everybody that I do their wedding, I give them a set of tapes of stuff that I, uh, that I put together on marriage for a lifetime or something. I've got the name of it. And before I marry them, they have to listen to those tapes. And in those tapes, I talk about the fact that they've got to have a shared life. That you can't live like you were before you got married. You've got to share your life. Y'all got to do things together. You've got to have quality time together. There'll be something the wife might do or the husband might do. But still, your, your focus is what can we do together? How can we share our life together? We don't want to drift apart. We want to get closer together. And I was sitting down talking to this couple. And this particular individual just loves softball. He loves softball. And, I, I, and he was playing softball four and five days a week. Four and five days a week. Well, we were talking. I said, well, now, tell me about it. He said, well, uh, I love softball, but now I've understood this, that now that we're getting married, now this was big. This was big. He said, I'm telling you, I've already told her that I'm only going to play softball twice a week. That's a lot better than four or five times a week. He had got the message. It does make a difference when you get married. You're not single anymore, and you, God wants you to share. You know what you need to do? You need to become the best friends, and you need to find ways to do things together and join. You know, I've heard about people who were, 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 were golfing widows. A husband spent all his spare time playing golf or, or hunting widows or, or working widows. I've heard about that. And then I've heard about men who were shopping widowers because their wife went shopping all the time, or they were mama-in-law widow was because he spent all the time with her mother all those things have their place but I want you to listen to me you better be careful that you don't drift apart you better be careful that you don't live separate lives you better be sure that by the grace and power of God you're looking for ways to spend time to each other to do things with each other and especially as you get children 
how that you can do family things, that, that it's just not a matter. I, I'm telling you guys, if you've got a regular job, you've got so much pressure on you anyway, you, you're going to have to see, man, when you do have some spare time, you better be sure that it, it goes to the place that is very important in your life. We share life together. It's called, I leave and I cleave. It means together we are going to build a life and we're going to share it together. And you look for ways that you can do things with your wife and your children. And you look for ways in which you can build a relationship that that's my best friend. Now here's the last principle. There's mutual acceptance. We've got to accept each other just as we are. And where there needs to be change and we all need change, we allow Jesus by the Holy Spirit to bring change into our life. Okay? And he works to change us. Then we got to realize there's a mutual completeness. Your wife completes you in many ways, and you complete her in many ways. And you're stronger together than you ever were individually. And it's not this idea, well, I don't need you or you don't need me. No, God didn't create, it that, create us that way. He created us that we would need each other. And then the third thing is that mutual sharing, that you become best friends, you find ways to do things together that you can enjoy, that you can build your relationship, and instead of drifting apart, doing your own thing, you come together and you get stronger because you learn to share life's joys, pleasures, heartaches, and sorrows together. But here's the last thing. It says here, when, she brought, when he brought Eve uh, to Adam, it said this, It said, um, he brought her to the man, and Adam said, this is bone of my bones, completeness, sharing, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one. It's called sharing, mutual reception, mutual completeness, mutual sharing. Now, listen to this, mutual transparency. Look at the next verse. And they were both naked, and they, he and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Why did he put that in there? Because there was a transparency between Adam and Eve. There was no, nobody was wearing a mask. Nobody was playing a game. Nobody was living a lie. Nobody was hiding behind a wall. They were both naked and were not ashamed. It means their lives were totally transparent to each other. You know, I'm going to tell you something. It's called communication. It's called communication. The heart of any marriage is the ability for you to talk to your wife and your wife to talk with you when you're not upset. Have you ever noticed (laughs) most of the time we just go on our own way and we're just doing this until something upsets us. And then we try to communicate when we're upset. You don't even remember what you said or she said because it's just wasted time because you're too emotional. Jim Hedrick, who's a fine man, a good counselor, I I never went to him because I didn't want to do this. But he said that one thing he would do, he said, y'all got to learn to communicate. Of course, my wife and I communicate wonderful. She'll tell you that. I mean, we have great communication. Don't ask her, but just trust me. Jim Hedrick is saying, I want you to sit right in front of each other, and I want your knees to touch. Well, I mean, come on, Jim. And said, now, I want you to look at each other now, and I want you to communicate. Well, you've got to say something when you're doing that, ain't you? I mean, you, I mean, you need a knee and eye to eye. What he was trying to say is this. Listen, 
Don't wait till you're upset. Don't wait till there's a crisis. Learn to share your heart with each other. Share your victories with each other. Share your defeats with each other. Share your shortcomings with each other. Share your places you're strong with each other. Be open. Be transparent. Just tell each other how you feel. Don't live behind wall. You've got to be transparent. Now, let me tell you why men have trouble being transparent or letting their wives be transparent with them. You know what? So the wife, you come home from work, and she begins to tell you everything that went on during her day. And sometimes it was good. Sometimes it was bad. But say it was a problem. It was an issue. Well, she starts telling you all this, and what you think she wants you to do is fix it. No, she knows probably you can't fix it. All she wants you to do is to listen to her and listen to her and let her know you care. But see, you get all frustrated. Well, I'm sorry about that, but ain't nothing I can do about it. Well, she knows you can't do anything about it. She knows you can't fix it. But I tell you what you can. Listening, caring, praying for her, encouraging her, you fixed it. It may not go away. And you know why a lot of times ladies won't share their real feelings with their husband? Because they think he'll reject her. He'll see it as a sign of weakness. Well, then that means goes back to number one, where there's not mutual reception, where we unconditionally receive each other. So the husband, uh, you know, the wife's not going to share with her husband all the hurts and feelings she had because he says, well, he won't understand and he'll see me as weak and just reject me. I pray to God you're not communicating that to her. Because acceptance is unconditional. Before Adam and Eve sinned, they were in a perfect world. They had a perfect marriage. Never had a fuss, never had an argument, never had a disagreement. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you never had a fuss, never had an argument, never had a disagreement. Because if you raised your hand, you'd be lying like a rug. I'm not saying a blow up, you know, where everybody goes crazy. But, I mean, we all have disagreements. And I got to thinking, after Adam and Eve sinned, I wonder what their first disagreement was over. Have you ever thought, I mean, I just got my imagination going. Well, now they've sinned, and Adam and Eve, and, and, and they're not perfect anymore, and sins, they got sinful natures now. And, and I wondered what they were, uh, what their first argument over. I know what it was over. I mean, I've been around long enough to know. You know, when, when after Adam and Eve sinned, they made clothes out of fig leaves. Y'all remember that? And then uh, God said that won't work. And, and it's showing that there had to be a sacrifice for their sin. God made them a clothes out of skins, animal skins, which there was a great picture here that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And so God basically was covering them and showing them that through the cross that was going to come, that our sins could be covered and washed away through the blood of Jesus. But you know what I think their first disagreement was? Eve looked at Adam one day and said, listen, I've been wearing these same skins for three weeks, <laughs> three months, three years. I need some new skins. Adam says, why? They look good on you and we don't have any money. Just think about it. I wouldn't be surprised if that wasn't the first disagreement they had. <laughs> See, when sin came into the world, everything changed. So what does it mean when you're saved and Jesus comes to live in you? 
The power of the sin nature is broken. Now you have the capacity to love in Jesus, the capacity to forgive, and the capacity. And so you know what? By the power of Jesus, you know, this is what you can say to your husband and your wife. By the power of Jesus, you can say, you know, I receive you just like you are. Secondly, I need you. You're not just an addition. I need you. I receive you, and I need you. And by the power of Jesus, you say, I want to share my life with you. I want to do things with you. I don't want to have my own life and you have yours. Yeah, there will be some, but I'm telling you the joy of my life is let's do things together. And I want you to know one other thing. I trust you. I feel like I can tell you anything that's going on in me. And I feel like that you'll still accept me. You may not be able to fix it, but you will listen. Hey, listen, I guarantee you what security that gives to a husband and wife when I receive you and I need you and I want to share my life with you and I trust you. I I just want to say this to you. Marriage is a challenge. It's a challenge. But Jesus Christ, God the Father, the Son, created marriage. And he said it's not good to be alone. You need each other. And so I want to challenge you, first of all, to know Jesus Christ, to know that he lives in you, to know that your sins are forgiven, to know that you're a child of God, and that he can give you the capacity to love and to forgive and to share. Now, you've got to have a relationship with Jesus. But I pray you'll just make a commitment in your heart that no matter I am going to receive him or her, I am going to be, uh, I'm going to let them know that I need them, and I am absolutely want to know that I want to share my life with them and that I trust them and I could feel like I could share anything in my life with them and they would not reject me. I'll tell you one thing. Marriage has its bad parts, but the other alternative ain't bad, ain't good. I, I don't even like the idea of being single. Now, there's some of you in here that are single because your husband or spouse has gone to be with the Lord. Some of you are single because you've been through the tragedy and heartbreak of divorce. Regardless, I'm telling you, that's tough. I mean, it is really tough. So I'm telling you, let's don't wait until what's so important to us is gone to realize how important it was. Because it was God that said it's not good for you to be alone. And may God help us build marriages by the power of Jesus that we don't endure, but marriages that we enjoy and that bless God that are blessing to God and bring glory to his name and says to the world, Jesus Christ makes a difference in the relationship between a man and a woman. And he does.